The seed of an urban legend find fertile soil at the corner of tragedy and imagination. Tom Quackenbush. Violin Vice contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Everybody. Welcome to Violin Vice Podcast. I am John John. And I'm Audie. Hello. And Audie, we have a sort of special of my favorite things. What is it? What is it? What is it? Oh, and tell Dean and Sweet Pea hello. Today, we are going to be going over 50 urban legends, one for each state. And not really going in-depth as to... The whole urban legend, but more of just like letting you know what is the most popular one in each state. So in other words, a very shallow dive. Because we're doing this alphabetical order style, which means us from Wisconsin will be towards the end. But we'll get there. So starting off is Alabama's Dead Children's Playground. Now why it's as creepy as it is. This is going to be kind of the format of how I do this, is why it's creepy, and roughly speaking, where it came from. So the Dead Children's Playground of Alabama. This eerie playground adjacent to Maple Hill, Huntsville's oldest cemetery, doesn't just have an eerie nickname for fun. The playground was presumably designed to entertain kids while their parents visited the graves of loved ones. Legend has it, though, that the spirits of children who have been buried in the cemetery since the first grave was dug there in 1822 come out to play at night. The living have observed orbs of light going down the slide, seen swings moving on their own, and even heard giggling. Creepier still, some say the spirits include victims of a rash of child murders that happened in the 60s. When bodies are rumored to have been found in the area that now houses the playground. Now where it came from is, well the playground itself wasn't open until 1985. So you can imagine how much pent up energy the tiny spirits had after 163 years without a slide. And in 2007 the city tried to raise the park to make more room for graves and removed the slides and swings overnight. But after public outcry, it was replaced with more modern equipment, making it slightly less creepy to look at and also probably resulting in some happier ghosts. So this weird urban legend isn't exactly the most accurate, but there is a children's park across from an old cemetery in Alabama. Of course, there'll be an urban legend made about it. Now in Alaska, the Alaska Triangle. So, why it's creepy? Encompassing an area ranging from near Juneau in the southeast to the northern Barrow region to the western metropolis of Anchorage, Alaska's answer to the Bermuda Triangle is comprised 
some of the most barren wilderness in the U.S., and it apparently craves souls. Dun, dun, dun. More than 20,000 people have gone missing without a trace in the area during the past half century alone. Are they being consumed by mythological beings, like the beastly Kilut or the ghoulish kidnapper Kalapalak, lost on extreme hikes, or simply vanishing into a dark vortex? Nobody knows, though it's not for lack of trying. When the government lost House Majority Leader Hale Boggs' Cessna to the Triangle in 1972, a massive search turned up tons of conspiracy theories, but no bodies. Now, where this urban legend came from is the area has been associated with evil spirits and Tlingit lore for centuries attributed uh, trickster demons for luring, luring people into an icy death. Others believe the area exists amid an electromagnetically influenced vile vortex. Still others think it's a Darwinian result of explorers taking on nature. Regardless, the area continues to claim people, and underneath that massive blanket of snow and rock likely lies one of the largest and best preserved mass graves in the world. So that one actually has some basis. It is a lot of acreage in almost pure wilderness, and people tend to go missing there. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey guys, so I'm here to talk to you about RavenyX.com. That's R-A-V-E-N-Y-X.com. So I got their crop top, flowy top, and I absolutely love it. It's black. It's a cute crop top. It goes well with jeans, skirts, you name it. They have so much more to offer too, like boots, purses, shoes, tops and skirts. I posted my crop top picture to Instagram. It's also on Facebook if you want to see. But if you guys want to head over there and use the code VILEVICE, that's capital V-I-L-E, capital V-I-C-E, to get 40% off, you can get yours today too. Now, back to the show. Now, Arizona's top folklore thing, or urban legend, are the Skinwalkers, which you'll recall we covered not too long ago. I loved your episode on them. Now, why it's creepy is it's easy to feel uneasy while driving through the desolate desert roads of Arizona, especially at night, and particularly so when you hear a short burst of taps on your window while cruising at 60 miles an hour, and turn to see the shape-shifting, mutilated, half-human creature responsible for the high-speed interruption. Now, relax, it's only trying to rip the flesh off your bones here. This legend is so ingrained in Arizona culture that when a Navajo woman was brutally murdered in Flagstaff, the accused killer's defense in court was that the attack could have only been perpetrated by a skinwalker. There's even a defined and well-documented portion of the state known as Skinwalker Ranch where you will most likely to see one of the creatures. Not that you'd actually want to. Now the skinwalkers, like so many ancient... American urban legends have roots in Native American folklore, as we've discussed long before in the other episode of the podcast, but it's kind of hard to gather specific details, but we do mostly cover it in that episode. Overall, it is kind of Star Wars-y and strange combination of a bunch of different Potential monsters 
and things like that, all very much instilled in the Navajo culture. Skinwalkers was episode 11, by the way. Now, Arkansas. Most people don't think there's a lot going on in Arkansas. Well, there is one urban legend called the Dog Boy. Now, why it's creepy? Now, the name sounds kind of goofy, or actually even kind of like goofy, technically. But if you find yourself at 65 Mulberry Street, in the middle of the minuscule Arkansas town of Quitman, you won't laugh if you see the hulking outline of a 300-pound half-man, half-beast. Complete with glowing animal eyes glaring out of the windows. Now walk quickly, as he has been known to chase people down his street, biting at their heels, kind of like a dog, actually. Now where it came from is, this is actually the rare urban legend where the story behind the story ends up being even creepier than the folklore. Gerald Bettis, the only son of the Bettis family of 65 Mulberry, was always a problem child, but not in the cute Junior Healy way. Bettis would collect and torture animals, hence the dog boy moniker, before turning his sociopathic focus to his elderly parents, allegedly imprisoning them in their own home and potentially even murdering his father. Eventually, Bettis would be imprisoned for growing marijuana in his back porch and would die in a state penitentiary in 1988 of a drug overdose. So it's a little bit like a weird quasi-sci-fi type thing coming from an actual real-life thing. Interesting, but still, I don't think I'll end up going to Quitman, and I definitely won't be just hanging out on Mulberry Street. Now, I just heard about this today, and I can't remember if it was from And That's Why We Drink Small Town Murder or Wine and Crime, but one of them just covered this case just recently. I don't think I'll cover it due to animal cruelty, but it was very, very interesting and a good case to look at. Up to sea now. California. The Many Horrors of Turnbull Canyon. Now, this is located near L.A. between Whittier and the and city of industry Turnbull. It is a 49,000-acre smorgasbord of nightmare fuel set amid the, the uh, scenic hills. You want your scares rooted in American history? The natives call it Hutugkeninge. I totally butchered that. But it means the place of the devil, where the ghosts of those slain for not converting to Christianity dwell alongside witches and Satanists, who reportedly use the place to sacrifice children whose spirits now walk the canyon and dangle from trees. They're joined by the ghosts of 21 kids who perished in a plane crash back in uh, 1952, allegedly, as there's no existing record of it. Then there's the remains of the old insane asylum that came back to life to kill a teen in the 60s via a long dormant electrical wire. There are cults, alien encounters, gravity hills. It goes on and on. Basically, if it's something that gets under your skin, there's a story about it happening in this seemingly cursed canyon. Now where this came from is places evil vibes 
date back centuries, though it wasn't until the site was established as a fur trapping site in 1845 that things started getting really intense. With word of the site's terrors traveling far and wide and making it a place visited as much for its beauty as morbid curiosity. So, nature sightseeing in California? Oddie, you, I guess that might be something to go take a look at if you're going to be going to haunted houses and stuff like this, huh? 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 Thought so. You know, I just might, and I might bring you with me and just not tell you where we're going. That would be fun. Well, okay then. On to Colorado now. Now, unlike the show, this is called Riverdale Road. For 11 horrifying miles, Riverdale Road near Thornton, Colorado is crammed with enough horrifying legends to bring even the bravest paranormal investigator to their knees. From a ghostly runner attacking parked cars on Joggers Hill to various demons and even a phantom Camaro revving up and down the winding road. But the gates of hell seems the epicenter. The physical iron gates are now gone, but what remains is the partial shell of an old mansion where a madman supposedly burned his wife and children alive. Left behind are the barren, charred plot of land and a white-clad woman who wanders the area. She's joined by the ghosts of slaves supposedly hanged from the now-charred tree. Go ahead and run away when you see something creepy like an ethereal pack of dogs. You're probably just going to bump into something worse. Possibly hell. A portal to which some believe is there. That maybe explains why so many demons were conjured in a weird underground chicken coop near a set of underground tunnels. Now where all this craziness came from, it's unknown. When things got really hairy, though, given the spirits of ghosts, slaves... It's safe to assume terrible things have been happening on Riverdale Road since the 1850s. And each time something terrible happened over the decades, it just kind of got stacked on to this nesting doll of a horror show. That is Riverdale Road. So, again, probably don't want to go there. I know I don't. Audie? Let's go there at midnight, sit in the car, turn off the headlights, and see what happens. I'm in Connecticut. Fine, don't acknowledge me. Dudley Town. Not like Harry Potter, but still the same kind of Dudley. Now it's often cited as a dark vortex, which you might have to go into a little more to understand that it's just an epicenter of weirdness. Rumor has it that if that any visitor that steals an artifact from Dudley Town will have a curse put on them and their family. Dudley Town Forest visitors report seeing just about every kind of paranormal phenomena you could think of. People describe an unnerving lack of wildlife in the area as well as floating orbs of light and sinister wolf-like black shadows. Murmurs and disembodied voices, as well as feel a feeling of general dread. Add on the fact that there's a mysterious group called the Dark Forest Association that police 
that polices the ground with militant force, and you've got yourself a serious case of what the hell is really going on here. Now, where all this kind of stuff comes from is the curse of the ill-fated Dudleys began back in jolly old England, where Edmund Dudley was beheaded for conspiring against King Henry VII. This treacherous act apparently unleashed a curse on the rest of the Dudley clan, which emigrated from Guilford, England, to Cornwall, Connecticut, in 1748. They, they helped establish a community centered around the town's then-thriving iron industry before a series of untimely disasters befell the family. These calamities included a series of mysterious deaths, which, in turn, inspired madness and suicide among the Dudleys, several of whom disappeared into the woods, never to be seen again. The remaining residents very sensibly ditched the town, which has been abandoned ever since. So that's kind of like pure classic, full-on, where urban legends come from. I think that was great. So far, I say that one's the most natural urban legend, in my opinion. I agree. Alrighty, now we're on to Delaware with Mr. Chu. I feel like there's a joke there, but I don't really want to get into that, because that'll be very distracting for me. Well, why is Mr. Chu creepy? Samuel Chu was a respected man, a chief justice in the state back in the colonial days. Still, even in colonial America, bullies latched on to his name, constantly pro proclaiming Ah Chu as if sneezing. Ha! 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 He apparently hated it so much that his spirit still stalks those who mock him, showing up in his robes and powdered wig to scare the ever-loving crap out of people, who can't resist the easy joke at the expense of a centuries-dead legislator. Now, where this whole urban legend came from was Chu was very much a real man, serving as a chief justice of the three lower counties until he died in 1743. Things got so unsettling that people eventually held a funeral for the ghost in Dover's Green, laying a spirit to rest in an ornate grave. He seemed to be placated, though he's still known to mess with smart asses who sneeze at the mention of his name. Uh, I, I kind of want to make fun of the name now. I kind of do. It is a really low-hanging fruit, easy to go for. I'm, I'm not going to do it, though. I don't want a weird powdered wig judge to show up in my nightmares tonight. You go ahead, Ali. I had enough trouble with PTD. I'm gonna skip this guy. To Florida, the skunk ape. Some people might have heard of this, and some people claim it to be just the Florida Bigfoot. But overall, it is mostly found in the Everglades. So why it is particularly creepy is well, the Evergra Everglades are filled with an array of terrifying creatures, man-eating alligators, man-eating snakes, man-eating roadkill, in some ways. I don't know about that last one. However, one human-like figure has been spotted enough times to warrant elevated levels of concern, the skunk ape. 
A relative of Bigfoot, a fully grown skunk ape stands anywhere from 5 to 7 feet tall and weighs approximately 450 pounds. They can be detected by a horrific odor that's been described as sun-baked animal carcass and rotting garbage. They mostly eat berries and small animals, but from time to time they've been known to ravage farms and tear wild boars to shreds. Recently, a skunk ape HQ has popped up in the Everglades, where you can book tours out into the swamp or reserve a spot on a hunting expedition to finally prove the hairy beast is real once and for all. Now, where the myth came from is no one can really say for sure. But because its lineage can be traced back to Bigfoot, many believe it migrated south from the mountains and found refuge in the swamplands and environments safe from humans with ample sustenance and room to roam. Others believe it's just lore, a tale pioneers created in order to scare people off their lands and preserve the wilderness. Whatever you believe, should you find yourself camping in the Everglades and you smell something foul, just take caution. Might be the skunk ape. So I'd probably just refer to it as the stinky Bigfoot. But I, I, Bigfoot's probably stinky too, right? You would think, right? Yeah, but like also depending on like the Everglades section, if it's freshwater versus the saltwater, the freshwater is going to be way, way more stinky than the saltwater just because it's stagnant. So, I mean, a smelly swamp, that's not too unheard of. So I can see them trying just to preserve the Everglades like that. But yeah, no, I, I figure Bigfoot would be stinky somewhat. I wouldn't say like overly stinky. Because he would have a grooming habit, but I, I don't know. Hmm. Well, we're moving up, going to Georgia. Georgia's is the Curse of Lake Lanier. Now, why it's creepy is the massive man-made lake north of Atlanta is unnerving on multiple fronts, with a reputation for tragic and sometimes mysterious deaths from a disproportionate disproportionately high frequency of boating accidents and drownings to unexplained homicides. A construction crew discovered the skeleton of a woman who disappeared in 1958, still trapped in her car at the bottom of the lake more than 30 years later. And since then, people have reported sightings of a ghostly female figure on the lake's waters. There are even reports of malevolent catfish lurking on the bottom. That's large enough to swallow a dog or even drown a diver. Now where this came from is there were numerous issues with the construction of the lake. Not the least of which included the displacement of families, businesses, and even cemeteries occupying the land the Army Corps of Engineers sought to develop. The vestiges of some of these structures still have a ghostly presence at the bottom of the lake, which some point to as a source of Linear's haunted reputation. Others point to the simple water plus alcohol equals accidents formula to explain the tragedies. Linear is a notorious party lake, but as noted above, many of the deaths go beyond simple boating accidents, leading some to believe that something more sinister is at work. Dun dun dun. And now, another word from our sponsors. So big news, I won the Sherlock in your homes game. And you guys can beat me if you want. My time's posted on the website. But John, John, do you want to tell us about it? 
From the creator of Murder Mystery Scavenger Hunts comes a new game that you can play in your home for fun if you'd like to be solving those mysteries. Or maybe Clue just wasn't doing enough for you now comes Sherlock in your homes. Investigate 10 different rooms, pictures, murder suspects to find who murdered the illustrious Nicole. Time yourself, play with one to four players, and all of this could be something you enjoy or just a fun way to spend time while you're stuck at home because who does that these days check out sherlock in your homes now i promise that it'll be something fun and enjoyable for any amount of time you'd like to play it all you need is a printer some scissors and a lot of free time if you would like to fully dive into all of this time yourself as a challenge or just do so to entertain yourself and friends. Check out Sherlock in your homes. They're a cool game and I would not recommend it enough. On to Hawaii. Which you think, it's Hawaii. The place of relaxation. Tropical beaches. Lovely things. What could possibly be bad there? Well apparently the night marchers are. Now picture yourself on a scenic Hawaiian beach at night. Sounds nice. Imagine a full moon and a cool breeze running across the sand. Also nice. Dreamy, even. But if you hear the faint sounds of drums pounding in the distance, or see a barrage of torches out on the horizon, it could be your worst nightmare. These spirits of ancient Hawaiian warriors dedicated to protecting the islands from all outside threats will only spare your life if you, reportedly, lay face down pee on yourself in submission, or, if miraculously, share a bloodline with one of the warriors. But good luck peeing on yourself face down. Now where this came from, the first alleged encounter with the Night Marches, known as Huaka Ipo in Hawaiian. Probably horribly mispronouncing that. It was recorded when Captain Cook arrived on Hawaiian shores in 1778. In Hawaiian tradition, the night marchers' role in life was to protect sacred members of the community. In modern times, their spirits have been reported all throughout the islands, mainly at the sites of sacrificial temples and other sacred grounds. Oh, and the decidedly corporate Davies Pacific Center building in downtown Honolulu. Apparently they still protect the island from outsiders, and if you buy into the legend, they always will. Still though, I doubt I would uh, think if I see like torches or hear drums to just lay down and pee on myself. I probably will check out what those noises are, so I'm probably doomed, Audie, if I ever come across these night marchers in Hawaii. I don't know. Do you think you'll probably have a chance to experience them? I mean, we just planned a trip for there, so maybe. I gotta remember this. Otherwise, I'd be like you and check them out. Hmm. <laughs> we make our way further down the list. Into Idaho. There is the Phantom Jogger of Canyon Hill. This kind of Sounds a little bit not great for, as an urban legend, but let's dig in. 
Now, why is the Phantom Jogger of Canyon Hill creepy? Well, there are rumors of many hauntings in Caldwell, Idaho's centuries-old Canyon Hill Cemetery. But the one that gets the most attention is the Midnight Jogger. As with many of the best urban legends, you have to do your part to get her attention. In this case, it involves parking between certain trees in the cemetery at night. Do it right and the legless apparition will knock on your window to let you know she's there. Then continue on her route. It's creepy as hell, though now it's only the second worst image conjured when you think of sinister joggers. Now where this came from, well the origins aren't, aren't they're unknown. Though considering there's another conspiratorial legend that the entire state of Idaho doesn't actually exist. Which kind of blows my mind that that's like a thing. That is not a worthy conspiracy theory that we've been through Idaho. It exists. I I have full anecdotal proof. We've been there. But perhaps the jogger is just a creation of a deranged and deceptive government or something if Idaho doesn't exist for some reason even though it's there. I don't know, Audie, do you think Idaho exists? Like you said, we've been there. We've driven through it. We've stayed overnight in Idaho, so yes, it exists. Unless you pose the question, do any of us exist, or whatnot. But yes, it exists. On to Illinois, the Italian bride. Why is an Italian bride creepy? An elaborate marble statue of a woman in a wedding dress is bound to stand out in a cemetery as it is. But that's not what's driven the Italian bride to be a subject of local fascination. Upon closer inspection, there is an actual photo plaque on the gravesite of a woman in a casket looking perfectly preserved, even though, as an inscription notes, the photo was taken six years after burial, after the body was exhumed. Reports of unusual activity cover... Everything from the smell of fresh flowers near the graveside in the dead of winter to the ghostly figure of a woman in white roaming the cemetery or the halls of nearby Proviso West High School in the dead of night. Now, where did this myth come from? Well, in 1921, recently married Julia Bucola Petta died in childbirth and was buried in her wedding dress. Legend has it her mother immediately began experiencing nightmares that Julia, wa Julia was demanding her grave be reopened. The source of the distress varies depending on the storyteller, often relating to some sort of discontent with Julia's new husband. But, it, but what isn't in dispute is that six years later, the mother got her wish and Julia's pristine condition inspired her to raise funds for the statue that's been creeping out generations ever since. On to Indiana. Diana of the Dunes is what it's called. Why it's creepy is, along the shores of Lake Michigan, fishermen, vacationers, and other passerby have reported sightings of Diana, a ghostly nude female apparition floating along the shoreline and eventually disappearing into the water without a trace. That's all there is to it. Just along the shores of Lake Michigan, you could see a naked ghost. Okay. 
Now where this came from is fishermen started reporting the sightings of a woman skinny dipping in the waters off Indiana's Lake Michigan coastline in 1916. And that's because Alice Gray, the source of the Deanna legend, was still very much alive at that point. The exact circumstances that caused her to live a reclusive life in a lakeside shack aren't entirely clear, but the years that followed saw her marry a man who later became a murder suspect and then die an early death, allegedly from uramic poisoning. Her ghostly presence has been a subject of local lore ever since. Still, though, if I was to be a ghost, that probably would be a nice way to go about doing it. Just like, yeah, I'm, I'm dead, but skinny dipping. Let's do it. That, screw, like, messing with people. I'll just do me, you know. I don't know. Sounds like a bit of a fun time. Yeah, I mean, you do you. I would either play pranks or drink alcohol as a ghost or, like, misplace stuff just to mess with people. But, yeah. Now for Iowa, where there's not even so much of a legend, but the Velisca Axe Murder House. Oh my gosh, do I know so much about this, but I'll let you tell it, but I'm excited to hear all about it, and this might be covered in the future. So, from this Axe Murder House, the murders themselves are not very much... Well, they, they very much are not urban legends. They did happen, and they remain unsolved. Sometime between the evening of June 9th, 1912, and the morning that followed, six members of the Moore family and two house guests were brutally murdered, with each victim having suffered an axe wound to the head. One suspect was tried twice and never convicted, surprising no one, the somehow still-standing house is the subject of numerous rumors, legends, and reports of paranormal activity. You can find out for yourself because you can actually stay there, just like the ghost hunter who mysteriously stabbed himself in the chest there in 2014. So, Audie, we're just filling up a vacation plan at this point for you, huh? If we are ever so lucky enough to go on tour and can visit all 50 states, you know where we're staying. Just full-on road trip through the U.S. and just things. On to Kansas. With Stull's Gateway to Hell. There's a lot of these gateways, apparently, in the U.S. I wonder why that is. Now, the tiny town of Stull has counted very few residents since it was founded in 1856. The most famous is rumored to be Lucifer himself, who some say appears at the town cemetery on Halloween and spring equinox. They say he uses the site where a roofless church once stood as a portal to and from hell. Some say that he's drawn to the site of frequent witch hangings. Others believe one of the graves actually contains Satan's own child. Either way, new graves continue to be dug despite signs warning against trespassers, perhaps referring directly to the Prince of Darkness himself or the cults that are rumored to flock th to the grounds. Now, where this crazy Satan cult, Satan showing up stuff came from, 
Well, the first published article about the horrors are traced back to a 1974 article in the University Daily Kansan, which is a paper. Though whispers about evil have persisted since 1900 or so, and in 1998, the hanging tree was torn down to stop people from visiting. It hasn't lessened the need for the small town to bolster an annual police presence to deter visitors looking for a glimpse of the devil himself, though. So that seems like it's more just like causing problems for the locals. Still, though, I wouldn't say it's not famous for it. Kind of nice, in a way. Time for Kentucky, and it's not KFC. It's about the witch girl of Pilot's Knob. Ooh, there's a pun there, too. Canadian pun. Ooh. <laughs> anyway, why is it creepy? Well, just looking at the pictures of young Mary Eve Evelyn Ford's grave feels a bit unnerving with a series of interlocking white crosses forming a fence around a pit of gravel and the bars appearing unnaturally bent in some places. Then you hear the alleged backstory. A mother and daughter, both accused of witchcraft and burned at the stake in 1916, with the mother's charred remains being carried to a far-off location, while the daughter was buried in a steel-lined coffin covered in stone and encased in crosses to prevent her escape. Some have claimed to witness tiny footprints appearing in the gravel, or even a young ghostly figure trying to escape the gravesite. Kid ghosts, as we know, are the creepiest ghosts. Now, where did this legend come from? While stories about the gravesite go back decades and naturally increased in detail with the growth of the internet, there's not much evidence that anyone has that anyone was burned at the stake for witchcraft in the area in 1916. Even back then, that was generally big news. Mary Evelyn Ford really did die a tragic young death, but the stated cause of death is peritonitis, an inf inflammation of the stomach lining. It's amazing what a truly unnerving gravesite can do for the imagination. We still wouldn't want to be near it at night. I think. It's just, eh, weird. Most of the time, the made-up story is creepier than what actually happened. It's just weird. Now on to Louisiana. This one is really cool. It's about an actual vampire. Okay. The Vampire Comte de Saint-Germain. As far as spooky shit goes... Louisiana does not rely solely on voodoo slash hoodoo, ghosts, and Woody Harrelson's accent from True Detective. None of that stuff. Like any debonair bloodsucker male vampire worth his garlic, Jacques Saint-Germain's hobby is seducing attractive young females in New Orleans, only to promptly drink their blood. By some accounts, he was born in the early 1700s, in others, he has been alive since Christ. After, quote-unquote, dying in 1783, he was spotted all over Europe before reappearing to terrorize New Orleans in 1902. 
He's still on his blood-drinking binge in the French Quarter today, though now he just goes by Jack, which is a nice rebrand. Now, where this crazy legend comes from is Comte de Saint-Germain was certainly a real person, an alchemist, and an all-around high-society snob who befriended a laundry list of famous 18th-century luminaries. He ran with crews including King Louis XV, Catherine the Great, and the philosopher Voltaire, who said he was a man who never dies and who knows everything. He has been tied to several local murders, and in the 1970s, a French pseudo-celeb named Richard Chanfrey publicly claimed to be the infamous Saint Germain. But then he died of a drug overdose in 1983. Or did he? Well, he probably did. But still, like a vampire in New Orleans. This is kind of like true blood almost. Ho ho. Now on to one that should have a lot more because of Stephen King. But this is the big one at the moment. The Wood Island Light of Maine. Now, why is that creepy? Well, instead of providing useful light to help ships navigate, the lighthouse on Wood Island reportedly provides a space for strange moans, unexplained shadows, and other indicators of paranormal activity commonly attributed to a murder-suicide that took place there decades ago. Now, where this myth comes from is Howard Hobbs, a local fisherman and drifter, really did murder his landlord, Fred Milliken, on the Wood Island in 1896. Hobbs had been drinking, and after shooting Milliken, left the scene and turned his rifle on himself. And you can read about the events of that day in all their 19th century newspaper glory, which is in a newspaper called the Biddeford Daily Journal. So from ghost experts who weigh in on such things, Hobbes is generally considered the likeliest candidate to still be haunting the lighthouse. So, eh. I mean, Stephen King alone brought more weirdness to Maine. Definitely. Yep. On to Maryland. The Goat Man. Which is kind of funny to say. I gotta say, it's a little bit funny. But why is it creepy? Well, Maryland's infamous goat man allegedly does all the things you would expect a deranged half-goat, half-man to do. Kill teenagers, eat dogs, scream like a goat, etc. But the most terrifying aspect is just how deep the lore goes. The USDA was even forced at one point to publicly deny accidentally creating the beast in their Beltsville Agricultural Research Center. Another tale revolves around a goat farmer who, after realizing a group of rowdy teens had killed his tribe, went totally crazy and turned into a teen-slaying goat monster. Now, where this myth fully came from? Though the lore had been around for a while, the first recorded media mentions of the goat man occurred in 1971, courtesy of writer Karen Hosler of the Prince George's County News. 
The first was a deep dive into Maryland folklore, followed by an actual news item about a family blaming the brutal decapitation of their puppy on the goat man, which they may or may not have just heard about via the county news. One month later, the Washington Post ran a national feature detailing the legend of the goat man. Ultimately, the goat man has become one of America's most persistent and well-known urban legends, who, well, with claimed sightings still occurring, with regularity and cheesy fic fictionalizations still creeping out the old line state. But, I mean, I, I know, like, I've heard about the concept of, like, goat people and, like, satyrs and stuff like that. But I, personally, I haven't heard about the goat man until this. What about you, Adi? I have, but also the devil is sometimes portrayed as a half goat man and whatnot too. So like you get into a bit of that within certain religious aspects and uh, different occult theories too. So yeah. Well, I can guarantee that you've never heard of the curse of Giles Corey from Massachusetts. Now, why is this creepy is the Salem witch trials were creepy enough to begin with. Which, you could just read the Crucible if you don't believe me. But the story of Giles Corey, who was slowly pressed to death under a series of progressively heavier rocks in an effort to extract a confession, is particularly unsettling. So I haven't actually heard of the legend, but that technique was used to extract confessions of if somebody was Catholic during Protestant rule or vice versa during Catholic rule back in Europe. And that was kind of a common technique. And they would obviously die if they confessed or die if they didn't confess. So very cruel. Now where this curse comes from is that the legend has it he uttered a curse against Salem right before his dying breath. You can understand why he'd have some ill will. For generations, his apparition has allegedly appeared in the cemetery before something terrible is about to happen, including a 1914 fire that burned down a sizable portion of the city. There has also been a series of tragedies that have hit the Salem Sheriff's Office, starting with the 1696 heart attack that killed George Corwin four years after he presided over the trials. So... Many, many tragedies to the police because, I mean, they were the ones who captured him and then put him on trial and that ended up getting him killed. That kind of thing. But I haven't heard of Giles Corey either. Still, though, that's pretty classic curse type stuff. Yeah. Yep, sounds like it. But that should be all for this week's episode. Come see us next week for part two of 50 Urban Legends for 50 States. Audie, do you want to take us out? Yep, I can do that. If you guys want to read more about this and all our other so episodes, you can do so at vileandvice.com. That's V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E.com. If you want to email us, you can do so at vileandvice at gmail.com at the same stuff. Again, A-N-D, no ampersands here. If you want to make a once-off donation, you can do so at PayPal at the same email address, V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E at gmail.com. If you want to message us, you can do so on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Facebook and Instagram are at Violent Vice Podcast, again, A-N-D. 
and you can do so at Twitter at Vice. If you want to go above and beyond and support us on Patreon and get some bonus content, you can do so at www.patreon.com backslash V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E. And we will see you guys next week for part two of 50 Urban Legends. Bye. Thank you for listening to Violin Vice. Cover art is by Audie Griffith. Music by Annabelle Rivack. If you want to help support the show, please visit patreon.com slash violinvice or give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to. This helps us move up the charts and also helps keep the spooky stories coming. Thank you.